Welcome to Backmarkers episode 6 with Kia and Hun, the slowest motorsport podcast in the world. Probably. <laughs> this week, we're back, a little bit later than scheduled, to look at the Melbourne Grand Prix, uh, which is an enthralling one, and I'm joined this week by a very special guest, Sam Ryder is in this week. Sam Ryder is here, as you can see. Very exciting times. A.K.A. Matt. MC Palms. <laughs> Palmer. <laughs> How you doing, Matt? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, filling in for uh, for Hun while she's unwell at the moment. So uh, wish her all the best. And uh, yeah, thanks for. Well, I was going to cover you while you were up in Scotland, uh, and I was going to cover with Han, and then suddenly <laughs> there's been a driver swap with you two. So that was the reserve. <laughs> Had to ca- call on our reserve driver anyway, despite the shakeups in the first team. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> Made a few few exchanges, a few substitutions, and we've still got star guest in this week. So very pleased, very pleased. And obviously, we hope Hun gets well soon as well, and uh, be back soon, of course. Um, so yeah, we had a uh, a very very exciting and unusual Melbourne Grand Prix because <laughs> it stayed dry the whole time, which the same couldn't be said for the whole weekend. But it was a dry race, and it was anything but normal. <laughs> Um, so I guess we ought to start from the top, right? And, uh, have a look at the dominant team so far this season and look at Red Bull in terms of their performance. And I guess, you know, extremely impressive once again, have Max coming out with a pole to flag victory. Not quite though, due to Merck, but a really strong performance from him. And a really strong drive from Sergio as well to come up to P5, I believe. So a very, very strong performance. Yeah, because Sergio had a brake issue, didn't he, in qualifying and then managed mm-hmm. to make his way up through the through the grid. But the, the speed of that Red Bull, um, I mean, probably... I'm, I'm not discounting Sergio, but pretty much any driver could probably at least get into the points with that Red Bull starting from the back. Um, yeah, and then Max just sort of made a mockery of everyone because he he sort of like 10 laps nine laps from the end he sort of went off and the gap came down from russell to to about five seconds and then he just pulled that gap back out again just like he, yeah. he wasn't didn't take much yeah, he, was, he sort of like was just having a nice sunday drive um yeah so uh, it's just it so easy wouldn't it it looks so easy again um and it's not that's not unusual this season so far he's driven he almost looked effortless at times at Bahrain and Saudi and it's sort of the same thing again except for the start which definitely didn't go to script really (laughs) with a jump by both Red Bull uh, both Mercs within the first first few metres really I mean I guess you'd call it that but uh, easily the first sector they both found their way past him so I'm not quite sure what it was that led to Max falling behind the two Mercs the way he did. Um, but, yeah, it didn't take him long to get back through. <clears throat> and he didn't even need uh, DRS either. So he just drove past him like he did the DRS Open at uh, Saudi. Just look eff- effortless, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Red Bull is just so much quicker. I, mean, I think it just spoke volumes, I think, particularly in Saudi, when you saw... Verstappen just go past and Martin Brundle, who's been commentating for about 25 years now, just goes, wow. 
<clears throat> like that that says right? it all just a veteran commentator just goes that is unbelievable at that speed difference yeah he's watched lewis hamilton's growth especially those days when he was just to come into f1 and he commented on the famous 2008 uh championship victory at brazil and he said wow about that so it speaks volumes doesn't it about how um how utterly dominant in this era red bull are because i stress that the fastest car is still the w11 built by mercedes in 2020 i think so that what that is still remains to be the fastest formula one car ever built but in this era of ground effect it's red bull that are really setting the pace and really getting the most out of that car and frankly newey is just proving himself to be more and more of a genius when this car continues to be dominant everywhere frankly apart from the start <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i think that's more down to the drivers than uh, than adrian newey's design having the start um which max <laughs> got in trouble for at one of the restarts because he was pulled really far forward mm. in his grid box and i yeah. saw and well i didn't see it initially but i saw people shouting about it on twitter the cesspit that twitter is and um People were like, well, surely that's a penalty. I was like, well, no, because I remember him doing that in Japan. And Ted Kravitz going to the grid, grid box and going, you can be on that white line as long as you don't start rolling or moving past the sensor in your grid box, you mm. are fine. Right, exactly. And that's that's the point, isn't it? He was still in the box. Yeah. The yellow line it's, it's is just merely a guide. A guide. Yeah. yeah. That's just so they know where to put their tyre. He was still in the limits. It's where the tyres are. It's where the contact patch of the tyre is. So in that respect, there was no problem whatsoever. It just, he was so far forward, it was like, hang on a minute. That seems very brave and almost bordering on the rule, surely. But this is it. It was bordering on the rule, but it was within it. Yeah, and there's a, there's frankly no complaints, I guess. And he, if anything, he got it dead right. Yeah, because I, like I said, I, I remember him doing that in Japan, and Sky had sent Ted Kravitz out to explain why it was, why it was fine. I can't remember what year. I can't remember if there was an investigation on it or not. But he basically went, "It's it's fine." He was millimeters within the safe zone. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. He absolutely is spot on. And I guess uh, looking at his his teammate as well, Sergio, um, obviously having a tough time with with the breaking breaks it breaks issue, he still came through and really delivered as well. Albeit with a the most dominant car on the grid, as we know, but you still have to find those opportunities. And when you're in a race, which I haven't mentioned yet, but most will know, there was three red flags. Not easy to get that momentum going. At least two of the red flags were near the end of the race anyway, so he had plenty of time to make up that ground. But the sort of moves that Sergio was pulling off, again, it's where Max passed the Merc for the lead. It was in those same places, but much, much braver by the looks of it, because it was almost heading to the entry and Sergio was pulling off these moves Yeah, uh, right through the midfield. It's really impressive. Yeah, turn 11 and 12. Yeah, I think. turn 11 and 12. Sergio oh, around the outside a lot of the time. 9 so and 10 now. Yeah, turn 10 maybe, yeah. It, yeah, 
Sorry, yeah, it's nine and ten, but yes, you're right. Yeah, Around the outside a lot of the time as well, which was um, really impressive because you struggle a lot of the time, obviously, because inside line is tighter, therefore shorter. Um, but he was just getting the traction down over everybody. And considering as well that the next one is a right-hander, so he'd still be on the outside, but he just had the pace to, to pull away and get in front of them before the uh, the next corner. That's right. Yeah, again, it was almost like, who cares about DRS? Too quick. <laughs> yeah, Max is pulling moves without DRS, and Sergio's pulling moves without DRS. It's just yeah, well, that quick. DRS would have helped. So impressive. DRS would have helped Sergio get into that position mm. because that's the end of a DRS zone. But it was more the fact he went round the that's outside true. of these people rather than rather than trying to go down the inside. Like, um, was it Lando did it to Hulkenberg? I think there was there was yes. a good move down the inside there, and they were side by side. The next one, Hulk went wide. Yeah, I recall seeing that one, actually. It was towards the end of the race, wasn't it? And he went for a really, really lovely move. Considering the the weaknesses of that McLaren this year, it was really impressive to see him pull that move the way he did, for sure. But I don't know if this is maybe a difference in strategy at the time, but still very impressive considering where they were and, ha- and have been. Um, yeah, an extremely dominant day for Red Bull, but a very, was a very promising start for, for Mercedes, who got as i mentioned got the jump straight away on max off the start particularly um lewis first i recall correctly and then george later on um through sector one they both managed to find enough of an overlap to put the move on on max and if anything i would argue it looked like max's tires weren't quite up to temperature yet he didn't look very confident but either way the mercs got the jump initially they did, yeah. No, I think you got it the wrong way around. It was Russell first. Is it Russell um, first? And then Lewis, because later the, it then swapped because there was an, there was an incident later. Um, I can't. There was an incident later, and George pitted under like safety car, virtual safety car, or something. He pitted, and then they called the red flag, which completely screwed George. So Lewis got a free pit stop, and and. <laughs> kept in the lead so yeah so that's how Lewis yeah I'll tell you what I think that I think I remember now it was Alex wasn't it I think Alex Albon went into the wall um uh, on lap six and they deployed a red flag but prior to that I think there was a pit stop for George yeah um I was getting him in early then he lost ground because because they called the red everyone could change the tires anyway so if anything all he did was lose track position um so yeah it was a shame that because as much as you could see where merc were going with the strategy call for well let's get him on fresh tires i don't think usually a red flag is called straight away but in this case it's for you know let him run a bit and it's like, actually we need a red now by the time he was in the pits then they called the red so it was great you know it's happened before in previous seasons, uh, the last season specifically, I think I recall one example where, you know, you've got cars out on track thinking, oh, it's probably going to be a safety car or a virtual at least. They come into the pits and then they call a red flag. Um, in fact, it might have been Saudi last year where that happened. And it, it is a shame because all that hard work you put in is undone through ultimately decision making because you could easily say, why wasn't the red flag called straight away? And that's been a look, a big talking point um, quite often in previous, you know, discussions and podcasts and stuff. It's always come up. 
and what about this decision making? Because it cost Merck, I would argue. Yeah, definitely did, and um, yeah, and it, I think that was one of the big talking points was like the inconsistency of the FIAs. Like mm. there'd be a safety, there'd be a safety car for one thing, then there'd be a red flag, and then there'd be a, a situation where there was like another red, like red flags might be with standing starts, and then but then they did it a rolling start, and it was just a lot of inconsistencies um, still with the FIA. Um, I think yeah. overall the decision at the end, I think, was right to have to red flag it again after the restart towards the end. After that absolute chaos, to then red flag it and then just drive around, I think that was was the correct decision. Even though it wasn't like a racing lap, fans still got to see the cars. The race wasn't stopped early. Um, yeah, there was no reason to 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 not go around so but yeah the the mercs as well going back to merc picking mm. up first two races they were sort of nowhere and and now they were you know p i think p2 and three in quali and then yeah and then on the well, george wasn't on the podium he's uh his engine blew up halfway through but uh, yeah sadly but, Lu- but lewis on the podium as well shows that that merc as mm. suddenly has pace i think they did have an upgrade i think something was brought um if not most otherwise i'm getting it confused with stuff being brought to um azerbaijan um but yeah that that most suddenly you know, found a bit of pace yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they had brought an upgrade because it was a significant jump i mean just the mere fact that they found themselves ahead of max on lap one speaks volumes about where that pace where the pace of the car is and i don't think it's just down to setup it can't be that is a really big margin that they surely will have picked up on at the previous rounds um but they didn't so there's there's support there for the idea that they will have brought an upgrade with them for sure um but it, as i say whatever they had brought with them wasn't able to get george to the checker um even though he had such a strong start and then strategy didn't go in his favor either but you know the heat of a day race in australia certainly took its toll on that particular Merc, you know. Um, but, yeah, still a very strong performance, I would say. It's a very encouraging result um, for, for Mercedes, who, as you say, a bit off the, off the boil uh, in the first two rounds, I'd say. You know, by their standards, they say it's an absolute failure. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, there's there's signs that that car is in a position to begin working its way back towards Red Bull, and they do have the budget to do it. They were beginning to last season as well. Um, So, yeah, extremely strong result for Lewis, but there was a lot of questions about um, the the reaction from the team, um, which I guess uh, the word is subdued, I think. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt, but I was hearing a lot of things about how maybe Merck weren't appreciating it as much as they should have under the circumstances but it's an odd one it's just it sounds like rumors but i don't know what do you think yeah I've, i haven't really heard these rumors but you're like you can see why they'd be it was uh second wasn't it they got with with lewis second that's right yeah so yeah. Uh, you know they've been winning at the front since 2014 um they've been at the mm. front and they've been winning everything they have the driver who has the most wins in history um driving for them so they're used to just constantly winning every race um so i guess anything less than that is a disappointment 
Um, but yeah, you know, if I know, obviously, if it was a, a different team like McLaren or Alpine, you got on the podium, you, you're elated because it's you know you've worked so hard mm. for that. And I think they, yeah, if it was subdued because they they are used to it. I mean, they've had it. To be fair, they've had a year of not having. They might have had a couple of podiums. They definitely had a, a double podium in Brazil last year. Um, but yeah, you'd you would have thought even with a year of not winning anything, you'd still be happy getting on the podium. But I guess I guess they're still looking at it, going, "We're used to winning," and that Red Bull. Well, to be fair, everyone's admitted that that Red Bull is dominant. Even Hamilton and Russell have said that that Red Bull is just we can't catch it. Yeah, to quote the first round, in fact, in the post-race interview for George, it's like, well, season's over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even he was going, oh, well, too late now, isn't it? It's, like, it's round one of 23, is it? Yeah. I mean, you know, don't give up yet. <laughs> so, for whatever reason, that the camp isn't as buoyant as it usually is, despite... You know, when you put it in context, right, you see how dominant the Red Bull is. I know, I think you're totally right, though, actually. You know, now I think about it, they are, they do have very, very high standards. And if they don't hit them, well, you know, it's it's not working. Something's wrong, even if it is a P2, because they would probably argue, well, we're the first loser. Uh, but I think it's a different mentality for the driver, the one who sat in the car going for all the emotions and the adrenaline and the the dopamine or whatever the hell you want to call it in terms of you know how they handle their emotions in the car and when you cross the line you've got this massive relief that the team won't understand because only the driver can feel that i'm not saying the team doesn't get elation from these kind of results or doesn't feel emotion of course they do but for the driver going through that strain all race for how many 58 odd laps um it means a lot more, I think, um, due to the emotions being heightened. So maybe that's why the discrepancy between Lewis's reaction and the team's reaction was probably a little bit more obvious. So, but then Red, uh, so Mercedes are always in the limelight anyway. So you know, if any other team had this reaction, does anyone care? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> no, but like I said, you would you would be a bit suspicious if like a team like McLaren or Alpine got on the podium. And they weren't cheering to the to to their full mm, effect. You'd right. be like, "There's something up here. Like you've achieved something that you yeah. you haven't done for a while." So yeah. So same with same with Merck. But like you said, yeah. I mean, Lewis is always very um sort of very happy. He was quite gracious and uh, and happy that they got a P two. Um, and I think he's sort of really realised the the situation of it and where the car was um last year and how how much the car's improving. Mm. And and also, I think personally with Lewis, particularly over the past few years, he's sort of learned to appreciate what he's doing and appreciate what's what's happened. Like there was there was one point at Silverstone a few years ago, 2017, 2018, he got punted at turn one, lap one, um, and then had a great race and fought all the way back up to third and then was just miserable at the end because he was like, I didn't win. And... And like right. the only yeah. way he was interviewed is Martin Brundle ambushed him on the podium as he was getting off the podium. That was the only way they got an interview <laughs> from him. Um, I think sort of people were like, "Lewis, you've been a bit of a miserable git. Like, don't be so privileged <laughs> about winning all the time. Like, appreciate what you're doing. Not not many people can do this. And you've been in for a long time right. as well, 2008. And like, there's only hmm. 
think it's just him and, and Alonso actually sort of pre 2010. You know, I think you're right. Yeah. And uh, no one else comes to mind that was 2009 or I'd say 2008 or 9, even before. No, no, that's right. No, Ricca- Ricardo was 2011, two... but he's gone as well. Right. So even in the reserve driver role, it's still not even close. Again, Hulkenberg, close. Oh, so oh, Hulkenberg was 2010. Yeah. Hulkenberg was 2010. Hulkenberg was 2010. Magnussen was 2011. I think was that his debut season he went in with McLaren no that was 20 with thir- Jensen that was 2013 after Lewis left oh, 2013 I my knowledge is encyclopedic I must say particularly for McLaren <laughs> we've got Matt yes. here, honestly <laughs> yeah absolutely corrected me on that one for sure but Hulkenberg was teetering on that border yeah for sure yeah so in terms of pre-2010 I think you're right yeah just, Fernando, just, uh, yeah. just Hamilton Alonso yeah it was extraordinary really and they were both on the now. podium. It's amazing. <laughs> they were both on the podium, exactly. Which brings us really nicely into uh, Aston Martin's race, which again, another really strong showing, which, you know, I was always thinking, yeah, they've had a strong start to the season, but can they keep it up? They're only round three, but they are. Mm. They really are. They've... Um, I mean, fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely brilliant they've really race. taken me by surprise because the past... I mean, when back when they were racing point, they were doing quite well. And I think their last year of racing point, they just pipped McLaren, or I think, or I think they would have pipped McLaren if they didn't have the penalty for something, the copy in the brake ducts or something. Um, mm. So like they were they were fighting for fourth a lot of the time as racing point, and then they went to Aston Martin, and then they were fighting the Haases and the Williams for for a good couple of years. Even sort of last year, they were sort of mid tier at best. And yeah. now they're just like, hang on a minute. <laughs> what, what are you doing being really, really quick? <laughs> yeah, where did he come from? Where did he come from? I mean, Ferrari must be furious. They must be absolutely furious. But, I mean, just on qualifying alone, they were already fourth and sixth on the grid. Extremely strong performance. When, you know, what it's really supporting is this idea that they've got the whole package at the moment. As a front-running team, they have the package. It's not like they're just producing good qualifying or producing a a big drive through the field up to some points they are qualifying well and also racing well because they ended up after the fraught affair that was the grand prix particularly towards the end we'll get to that is third and fourth which is one of them which is Aston Martin's best ever result like combined their best ever result yeah Absolutely extraordinary result. And when you consider the fact that Alonso went round on the restart at the end of the race, and Lance obviously is still te- technically recovering um, from yeah, of course. a broken wrist and, and toe, <laughs> it, I find it even more staggering how good that car must be because both of them are still in a spot to compete. And I think they're thoroughly enjoying it they must be compared to how things were but then again obviously in Alonso's case yeah probably even though he transferred to Aston Martin for the season Lance's always been there he's under his dad's ownership he's he's been around and they it's been working it's been working this season and it, it's clear to see that they've got the package um to, to go forward for the rest of the season I think because the litmus test is race one 
And it's like, right, can you keep it up? In Aston's case, yeah. Yeah, we can. And what's really impressive with them as well is um, a lot of people forget they've created a brand new factory and moved into a brand new factory. So yeah, that's helped the production of the car, but you've got all the, the teams still focusing on we're moving to a new venue and we're moving all the kit and all this stuff is new. And so there's a lot of, not quite turmoil, but a lot of disruption get base because they're moving. So the yeah. fact that they're still able to make a car that's, you know, double three times better than what they've had for the past couple of years and be fighting the, the Red Bulls and the Mercs is, is astonishing considering everything yeah. that's going on. Exactly. It's a sport where it is notoriously difficult to make up a position, let alone move from mid to lower end of the field to a front runner. And they are. Yeah. Because look back at, um, it was Bahrain. At some point, Alonso had the lead. So, you know, it says it all when, you know, when you look at that, compare that to Melbourne, again, Red Bull pipped at the start. So maybe there's some imbalance there in terms of tyre heating on a formation lap. Maybe cost them a little bit. But either way, yeah, they are in the fight at the moment. And I think it must be so refreshing for Fernando that he's got a car that he can compete at the front with. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can see the difference in his demeanour at the moment. His, his attitude has completely changed for the better. And whether that's just because the car's quick or whether he took time out of F1 for a little while and then came back, maybe seeing the sport a little bit differently. And he's also got, finally, a car that can give him the opportunity to fight near the front. I think he's. this is perfect timing for the over, over 40 now, isn't he? So mm. amazing. It is amazing. Story Fernando. Yeah, because I think the last competitive car he had was probably the 2012 Ferrari, which was 11 years ago. Yeah. So that's, I'm sorry, to reminding everyone 2012 was 11 years ago. Oh, God. Um, that is atrocious, isn't but, it? But I think that was the last competitive <laughs> car because that's when he challenged Vettel for the championship and lost it on the final race. Ironically, losing exactly. it because uh, Paul Dresta crashed a few laps from the end and they brought out the safety <laughs> car and the championship finished under the safety car. Michael Massey, are you listening? Um, <laughs> that's how that championship ended. So, but... Yeah, that's what it's been a long, long time. Like I said, he he came out of form. He left Formula One after having so many terrible cars. The Ferrari started being bad. He went to McLaren when they had the Honda engines, and those were just atrocious. Um, and then, yeah, and coming back, and the Alpines weren't great either. And I mean, everyone again was everyone was questioning: Is this right going to going to the going to Aston Martin? They're at seventh at best, and. You know, is this the right move? And Fernando, you're famous for making terrible moves. Um, this one's paid off. Um, absolutely, it's actually worked. And like you said, he's had the few years off, which is what I think encouraged him to come back as well, because he did. He won the 24 Hours of Le Mans and was at the front. He was extremely. He didn't win sadly, but he was extremely competitive in IndyCar and particularly the Indy 500. He was at the front of that. Um, uh, you know, only losing out to, uh, I think, mechanical failures, actually, is the only reason he hasn't got the Triple Crown. Um, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. In the case of IndyCar, it was. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. So, yeah, it's... Ironically, in a Honda engine. 
yeah. Yeah. So it'll be yeah. So I think he he had a good perspective of what it what it was like to be back in a competitive car at the front, and then was like, I can try again in in F one. He's probably happy with uh, yeah, very happy with the Aston Martin, and I'll be interested to see. I don't think there's any plans this year, but I know Alpine blocked him from doing IndyCar because McLaren were happy for him oh. to do it, obviously, because McLaren have a team in both. Alpine said, no, right. I don't know what Aston Martin's stance is on it. Obviously, he'd have to miss like, a race like oh. Monaco, but I don't know Aston Martin's stance about letting Fernando go for a race weekend to go and compete in IndyCar. I guess Aston Martin don't have any associations with any teams. So I don't know who he'd have, who he'd be able to go with, um, if he did, and I think they'd probably be upset if he went to McLaren over there. Um, but again, I don't know what yes. I don't know what Aston Martin's stance is on on letting him do IndyCar. But like I said, he's he's actually got a competitive car, and doing IndyCar will probably mean he'll have to miss Monaco like he did um, back at McLaren. Yes, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I think. If there's one race where Aston could genuinely win with Alonso, it's Monaco, isn't it? Because if they could nail a quali lap in the way that Schumacher did on his return, mm. like a decade ago, um, again, feel very old, if he could nail a quali lap, we've seen what can happen even with a dodgy car. You can still win at Monaco. Yeah, Ricardo did that. In so, Rebel, yeah. Exactly. So this is the thing, isn't it? It's like with McLaren, they weren't, they were a back marker slash midfield so he could justify to the team and the team could justify to themselves why it was okay for him to go like well you're probably not going to win here you could win an IndyCar and we only let Jensen go Button go last year and we can just bring him back because it wasn't that long ago correct <laughs> Jen- Pun likes this Jensen um- <laughs> still has a penalty to serve did you know this fact this fun fact because he collided with Verline and Verline went up on his side they gave um, Jensen a five place grid penalty for the next race but he only did that race. Oh so if, if Jensen God. Button ever returned for a one-off race, <laughs> he will be given a five-place grid penalty from 2017. <laughs> so who is he most likely to j- jump back in for? Probably Williams, Williams, right? I think. He, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> so can... can he qualify 15th? <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think that'll be a record in itself. Yeah, here's a, here's a yeah, penalty right. from, like, five years ago. Enjoy. Yeah, you're still due to serve this. Yeah, imagine if it's the same weekend that Alonso's gone off to. <laughs> you're at, Mon- oh, you're at Monaco. You're not in the same the- team. Oh. No, that'd be awful because he's in a Williams at Monaco. You have to start at the back, Jensen. <sighs> he already had to deal with the McLaren at that point as well. You know, that's what got him the penalty. Um, and if I recall rightly, it was Verline in the Williams, I think, wasn't it? Uh, Sauber. I mean, he- Sauber, sorry, because mm. they were. Oh no, so what, but they were blue, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, yeah. With where Aston are at the moment, I think it's an indication that Alonso's attention will remain squarely focused on Formula One. Yeah. Um, as much as there might be a little bit of temptation about the Triple Crown, it's like, what if he goes to IndyCar and breaks down, and Lance gets a podium or a win? And that's nothing against him, by the way. I just mean Alonso's quicker yeah, of the two. Yeah, no, I agree. So if he gets a podium or a win, it's an indication that Alonso Alonso will be kicking himself, right? He will be kicking himself. Even if he goes to IndyCar and wins, 
he might end up being a little bit gutted that he wasn't around in F1 for Monaco. So I think it's probably going to be quite an easy decision, actually. And one that Aston won't have to justify to themselves or to Alonso very much. Because he, I don't think he's going to be that worried. I think he's quite happy with where the yeah. team are. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't, th- and he's got something to work with. Yeah, I don't think he's. Go- I don't think he's going to go. Well, I said there's no plans this year. And while Aston Martin are competitive, I don't think they're going to go. If they were in the same place that they had been for the past two years, he might have then. And maybe if it was like not on an F1 weekend, well, that's unlikely because it mm. nearly always is. Um, if it wasn't on that weekend, he might be like, "Can I? Can I go?" In which the only risk is you might have another driver with a broken wrist. So, yeah, um, I, exactly. I think that would that'd be, that'd be their worry as well is that he'd hurt himself at um, Indianapolis, which is uh, quite highly likely with the, the speeds that they uh, with, that they do there yeah. as well. So uh, exactly, yeah, you're weighing up the threat and the opportunity, right? And as far as I'm concerned, when it was Alonso at McLaren, the opportunity massively outweighed the threat hmm. because he was at a team that wasn't very competitive. But now it's a much more balanced situation. Yeah. And given he's already full time in F one, it's much easier to say just stay here. Stay yeah, here. It, yeah, it would be. I, it. But I still hope he goes for it. Like if whenever he yes. retires for a second time, um, so do I. I. I want him to go for it. <laughs> I want him to be the second driver to no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. he would be second. Graham Hill did get all three, didn't he? Second driver, Graham Hill, exactly. Yeah, he was the first. So be the second one ever. Yeah. That was the appeal at the time, wasn't it? And he was there or thereabouts, apart from his his uh, retirement. Sadly, when he had the the best attempt of the lot to to get that that victory and claim the crown. But no, I think you know what. Within Formula One, he's going to be perfectly satisfied with how things are going right now. Yeah. I mean, you got Max, two time champion, Lewis, seven time champion, then Alonso in an Aston two-time champion i think he's going to be pretty satisfied with that gotta be honest and of course lance as well no championships more podiums than hulkenberg and comes in fourth as well just behind him i think it's a really good result for for aston for sure oh. um and a team that were probably hoping for a lot more than they got um for various reasons was ferrari um, where do we begin? Well, let's torrid start. Well, let's yeah, Charles, let's start yeah. at the start. Charles Leclerc didn't get past sector yeah. one. No, he went in. He, he went in the gravel, and rather than sitting in the car hoping to be lifted back onto the track or be pushed back onto the track, he just got out of the car. Um, I'm sure yeah. that's not. I'm sure that's in I'm the. Re- I'm sure that's, that's in the it. regulations now because I remember Lewis doing that at Nurburgring again, like 2007, 2008. He, got lifted up and put back on the track but he kept the car going so he could continue um i'm I'm sure that's against the rules now to do that it is if you need to be recovered you're not getting back in the race basically fine yeah um you need to be able to get out of your own steam so that's the problem if you just go in the gravel and your car's fine you're still out so um yeah that that was the big issue for him really is that he didn't really get a look in before he was um has he spun out? I think he was. This is what this is what I was wondering. I can't. I can't remember if he was. I, yeah, I can't remember if he was spun out or um or when I've quite a few. So many people went in the gravel. I can't remember <laughs> how many people yeah. went in the gravel. I know. Oh, it was a long, long list, particularly under the restarts. It was just turn one in general, really. Um, you know, would be the the summarizing point from the whole race. 
But in the case of Charles, yeah, just didn't get going. Um, and I think I get the feeling there was a little bit of contact there. And whether that's just therefore a bit of bad luck for him or it's quite uncharacteristic. I know there was the incident at the French Grand Prix last year, but it's still fairly uncharacteristic for a driver of his caliber to be making mistakes like that. Um, so I think it's predominantly down to a little bit of contact, but again, really dreadful start. So it was all riding on Carlos uh, to, to bring it home and get some decent points. And it was looking that way. Um, until the very end of the race when yes. him and Alonso were going through turn one on the exit, the two come together and Carl, uh, Alonso goes spinning round and the key point from this I think is well as a result of that crash the FIA awarded a five second penalty for avoidable contact presumably mm. Um, and I heard some of the radio from Carlos to the team begging the team to implore to the FIA to hear his side. Yeah, he was almost crying in the car when they when they told him. Yeah. Because it, it, it was very, very... It was... So the five-second penalty is just, I feel, but the circumstances that it was in, that they knew it was going to be a safety car finish, was yes. was him being crucified. Like he he knew they might as well have just disqualified him there and then, because there there was no hope. If if there was still like at least two laps of running, you might have been able to pull out a gap, but but mm. there wasn't. The fact that everyone was going to be backed up and and all the drivers behind knew that they were going to be backed up, um, that they or they all had to be behind, right behind science, um, in which they all were, and he fell he fell all the way back to to last place, which was twelfth, um, and didn't score a point. Um, yeah, but that was really, really harsh for it. And then, uh, obviously, there a lot of criticism as well. They handed him a penalty, but why didn't um, Sergeant get a penalty for for doing the similar thing to Defries at the same corner? And and Defries's race was over because because Defries ended up in the gravel and Sergeant hit him, and they were just like, yeah, we're not going to look at that because you were I don't know you were fifteenth and that was for third. So like, why, why didn't you penalise that? Yeah. Like, I know he's at the back, but yeah. it's still the same thing. And actually, De Vries's race was over. At least Alonso could continue. Even, all right, there was a red flag 30 seconds later. But at least Alonso could still race, and, and his race wasn't over, but De Vries's was. So, yeah, again, as I said before, the big inconsistency from the FIA. It is, and I agree, because there's a lot of um, low-profile incidents, shall we say, the ones that tend to happen near the back of the grid that are just forgotten. Uh, right? Saudi Arabia. You almost be forgiven. Saudi Arabia with Alonso right? getting his um, penalty for being out of his grid box. There's photographs showing that there was like four other drivers behind him who were in the same position as Alonso, slightly to the left or right of the grid box, yeah. but because they weren't front row, they weren't noticed. No, that's right. Exactly. And this is where I think, do they need more automation on this kind of stuff then? Because... Either they are accidentally missing it because there's too much going on, or they are deliberately. No, I think, I think it's it. accidental. Because I'd hope so. I genuinely hope so. And I don't mean to come across that way, honestly. It's more just the fact that there's been this big drive for the FIA, particularly the stewarding, to be much more consistent than it was in the wake of, of 2021. 
they have said we've made all these changes to make sure that we are more consistent with our delivery of penalties going through the season. I'd love to know if they could still justify that now, because as you say, there's scenarios that they're they're missing, right? Yeah. And and there's a lot of emphasis on making sure the front drivers are penalised because, well, it has an impact on the championship. But to be fair, there's still impact for lower end teams in terms of budget. Yeah. When you've got the likes of Haas and Williams and Alpha Tauri like Alfa Romeo, even McLaren now arguably, um, are all in that lower end and there is big points between those championship positions. So when you accidentally miss <laughs> accidentally miss these incidents, it has a big knock on effect on the championship further down the line. Because even if you don't score points, your position counts. Yeah. To later on and that could be big money and the team will look, those teams will look back and go we could have done with that decision we didn't get it yeah exactly. so it's a tricky one to call right yeah exactly yeah because yeah. if if like you said if there's two teams that haven't scored any points it's whoever finishes highest again my, my mind casts back to again the early 2010s with uh catering and marusha and hrt i think there was one year none of them scored any points but like the catering was 11th so they got the they got the bigger prize pool out of out of those back three teams because they finished ahead so and that was just in one race um so that that gives them it so yeah it does have a knock-on effect even this early in the season just being given yeah this uh, a place even if it's 13th it can still really help absolutely yeah i i couldn't agree more i mean i'm obviously in this scenario we lost uh, let me see. Eight drivers. <laughs> I should just check my notes. So we lost eight drivers, right? I thought it was six. So it was in this context, bad. there's yeah. So there's there was only two positions that were non-scoring at the end of the Grand Prix, um, and yeah. as a result, this one would be less impactful for that reason in terms of oh teams that don't score points, um, still getting some movement through the championship because of where they finished in the race. There's less impact there, but. There's still big opportunity for um for teams such as McLaren, um, who made absolutely huge gains. Um, but I know we'll move on to that. Uh, but just yeah, I mean, for for Carlos, it's just absolutely devastating, really. Um, when it seemed like quite a heavy penalty, and I think his justification, I don't know if he was able to make this to the stewards or not. He was saying it's basically a lap one restart. Yeah. So are we not taking that same approach to stewarding when there's a grid restart mid-race as we would on lap one? It's the same principle. And I think that was his argument. Is like, this seems... You wouldn't... I think what he was trying to get across is you wouldn't do this normally for a lap one incident yeah. when it's the same kind of scenario where everyone's on the grid, everyone pulls away, race down to turn one is looking for the same piece of tarmac it's the same deal and he's going how is this any different to a lap one therefore do i deserve five seconds or not therefore by that argument you could say yeah, maybe it was a bit harsh but then they're probably going for the it's mid-race sorry you hit him could have been avoided something but yeah i'm it's up for debate this one again <laughs> in inconsistency really with fia is. it comes back to the same thing yeah. Think so 
Yeah, it, I think it needs. To, so, I, I think that is a a grey area that they need to look at, particularly now because definitely within the past few years, there's been a lot more red flags, um, for for mm. races, um, lots more than there has been over the past like, you know, two decades, and yeah, yeah. they they need they need to really nail down going okay if it's a restart doesn't matter if it's halfway through the race seventy percent through the race or on the last lap is you know are we treating turn one incidences the same as it's turn one lap one mm. which yeah as right. in, in in the situation that you, you said everyone's going everyone's piling down there everyone's going at the same speed everyone wants the same bit of tarmac yeah you should treat it as 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 a lap one uh, incident rather than a uh, rather than a last lap incident i agree i agree so yes more inconsistency <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure that won't be the last we talk about it. <laughs> we are consistent yeah. on the inconsistency. Tell you what, really, really are. Um, looking ahead, though, some of the teams that had a good day, and one of them was McLaren. Not biased at all. <laughs> um, they've had a torrid start to the season, but they most certainly capitalised on a very tricky day for other teams um, by coming in, uh, let me see, uh, sixth and eighth. Um, gaining set well. Lando was sixth. Oscar was eighth, gaining seven and eight positions respectively. Absolutely top draw for a team that were probably thinking we're midfield now. Uh oh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was great to see them again. Finally, actually getting a uh, a double points finish. Um, again, we were sort of slightly biased, so we want them to have double points mm. finishes all the time. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But it's good seeing that. And actually, I saw a lot of people actually comparing the fact that, you know, that Oscar, or it wasn't the debut race, but he was his debut home Grand Prix. Um, so many people were comparing it to Mark Webber's debut in the Minardi in 2002, where he was he was in a <laughs> he was in a slow car and he, he came through in the points. Mark Webber got fifth in, on the uh, in the Minardi, which... The fact it was a Minardi was remarkable, and I think this is the last. Yeah. I think this is the only other time that a an Australian on their home race debut has gotten a um, gotten points. So like since Mark we- since Mark Webber. Actually, no, he's mm. yeah, you know, he is Australian. I was about to say he's Kiwi. No, he's not. <laughs> he was, oh no, no, he's no, he's, 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 Australian. he's Australian. He was born in he was born in Melbourne. He grew up in that area. I don't know why I I don't ah. know why I thought he was Kiwi. <laughs> Thinking of someone else. <laughs> Bruce McLaren. <laughs> Technically, yeah. He's got the heritage, right? <laughs> He's one with the heritage. He started it all. So okay. um, what footsteps to fall into, right? You know, in that that region specifically, um, is a hell of a shoes to fill. And he, he has been, to be fair. Oscar's been, I must say, he's been impressive at the start of this season, I'd say. Mm. Bad luck in the first race, obviously, and has been... With Lando, right? Which I didn't expect. I thought there'd been a bit more of a gap there. But, you know. I mean, for example, you look at Albon and Sargent, then you look at Lando and Oscar. Oscar's doing well mm. by the rookie standards. Comparisonly to even, his teammate, yeah. Yeah, even Sonoda and De Vries. The rookie performances, Oscar is closest to his teammate yeah. out of the three. And I think you should take his hat off. And he's got his first champion, first championship points of the season 
um, for the team as well with a P8. And ultimately, what it shows is it shows yet again is you stay out of trouble, you probably score well, and that's exactly what happened with McLaren. They just kept finding themselves in the right place at the right time, um, for most of the race, really. And obviously, Lando pulled off that great move. Mentioned it earlier about uh, that great move on on Nico as well, which uh, was what gave him sixth at the end of it. Because obviously, with Carlos's penalty, he got bumped down to to twelfth, um, basically last out of the runners at the end of the race. But it gave Lando and Oscar that bump up the field up to sixth and eighth. So really, really strong for the team. And I think they'll be breathing a sigh of relief that there's. Some good points on the board, considering where they are on pace. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, the team admitted at the launch and at practice that the car wasn't ready. They admitted that, that this car was going to be a bit bad. And, I've, and again, I think they brought some upgrades to... And, uh, no, I don't, I, again, I can't remember. I can't, I'm, I'm getting confused between either they brought something to Australia or they're bringing more upgrades to Azerbaijan. I think they're bringing more upgrades to Azerbaijan. Um, and I think that's when McLaren are sort of going to stake their claim and be like, we're here now. Um, mm. And it's sort yeah. of the final pieces that they've they've been missing. Um, but the fact they've got points on the board as well, because before Australia, they were plum last in the standings. Um, because again, other teams, Williams and Haas, who hadn't scored points, they had scored better. So mm. um, McLaren were plum last and now they've got points. So they've jumped from 10th to like, sixth or something like that i think so they've yeah. they've jumped up the standings and actually got some points on the board which again if for, for a team that's struggling you look over the past few years at uh, Haas and williams just getting two points is uh is is really really good i don't want to i don't want to quote gunther steiner for what for what he said of for two points what he would have done to the paddock but um <laughs> but, oh, I wonder if Zach hugged, Brown feels hugged, the same. Hugged them, hugged them. He wanted to hug to the paddock. He wanted to hug them. To be um, clear, <laughs> um, yeah, but like for two points, and and you know, McLaren got way more than that, and that that's, that'll be really really beneficial, even if they have, even if it doesn't go anywhere else beyond this evening, even if that's their best race, that will still do them a lot of good. Absolutely, yeah, they'll be. I'll be dead chuffed with that, and I'm sure they are. I had a few little celebrations behind the scenes about that particular result, because you have to put it in context, don't you? I know they'll probably set their standards high, because they've had a few podiums in the last couple of seasons, and they'll probably be thinking, that's our expectation, isn't it? Let's get some podiums. Let's get a pole as well, maybe. So to be where they are is a bit, probably a bit demoralising, but you take those results say, look, we got some points today, we had a good one, enjoy it, you know. I, I hope they did. I hope they do. Yeah, sort of a um, sort of a two steps forward, one step back type deal for McLaren. Yes, because they were yeah progressing, yeah. progressing so well, and then this is a step back. And to be fair, they've admitted it, and they have sort of lowered their expectations somewhat for this season. Um, pretty yeah. much everyone has admitted it, even Zach Brown and or both the drivers have admitted this car isn't going to be great. Sadly, uh, not hitting the mark yet. Um. So they they sadly are relying on results like this, races like this to capitalise. But that was a lot about luck, a lot about luck, and you need to be in the right place at the right time. And they were on this occasion, but can they bank on that being the case every single time? There's a fraught race like that. Quite sure. 
you just have to be in the wrong place and then your race is done. Um, which was the case for one of the Haas drivers. Um, the other one did okay. Obviously, Orlando getting past Nico into uh, what was P7 at the time, then Carlos's penalty pushed them forward. Nico then came through in P7, so a strong showing for, for the Haas team. Um, same couldn't be said for Kevin, though, um, who, as I recall, before the end of the race, um, overstepped the mark a bit like, and light, uh, smashed his yeah, rear light, tyre onto Lightly, the lightly tapped the wall of the exit at turn two. <laughs> Such a light tap, and it just yeah, should completely rip the wheel off. So it was, yeah, it was right? a really big reaction from a tiny bit of contact. Um, like I, yeah. I watched that replay sort of in disbelief. I was like, no, surely he stepped out or the back stepped out or something. I was like, no, he just slightly grazed it and it, it broke. Haas seemed to not like wheels being attached in Australia. They, they, <laughs> they have a, they have a gremlin with that, <laughs> with, with wheels not being attached correctly. Um, so yeah, no. <laughs> so it was, it was a surprise and a big shame for, um, for, for Kevin and a really big shame for, for Hulk with, how they restarted that final restart. Um, again, it was the correct procedure because there was, you know, they hadn't gone through the first sector and that's that's what you do if, if it's red flag pretty much at turn one, which it sort of more or less was. And you can go back, amazingly, some, in, some consistency from the FIA. They've done this in the past and reset and, and, and gone back to it. Um, but if they, and this is why has the protesting, because if... If they hadn't reset it at that re- at that restart when they lined up in the in the pit lane, Hulkenberg was fourth, and then Science was given a penalty. Right. So Hulkenberg would have been third, and wow. and the F one, ev- everyone in F one would start screaming, right? Because Hulkenberg would have got a podium, yeah, exactly. Chaotic Australian Grand Prix, finally. So and it would have been Hass's <laughs> first podium, but more importantly, Hulkenberg's. Um, yeah, and then because they reset it, he went back down, um, went back down to whatever position he was in, and then scarily, it wasn't on the bro- on the main broadcast, but terrifyingly, his engine gave up, like on that final lap, going around behind the safety. Really, behind the safety car. Yeah, he was going through the last couple of corners, and he was saying something's not feeling right, something's not feeling right. And going down the straight towards the line, he was like, the engine is is going, the engine is gone. And they were just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. He crosses the line and then they're just like, okay, Nico, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. So like his his oh engine actually God. gave up on the line. So wow. so it was lucky that he, he was there. Again, and that's what some of the commentators were like, is like, this is why we should have this final parade lap and not end it, because someone could someone's engine could conk out. Like and that almost right. happens. Like it was really very close. Fine margins. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. The, the the Haas almost didn't cross the line on that safety car restart, wow. and that would have caused more drama to it. Um, but thankfully, it did. So I can't remember what place yeah. he was in. I'm assuming he was in the points. Um, yeah, he came across the line in P8 behind Lando in seventh, but then Carlos and then seven, brought yeah, all of those up seventh. up forward. So he he finished seventh, yeah, having gained three positions from his starting spot. So he still qualified in the top ten. Um, so really positive weekend for mm. for for Nico. And I'm not sure if Gunter would have 
survived the aftermath if that house hadn't crossed the line, given that only it was a matter of laps earlier that Kevin... Yeah, right? (laughs) No hugs today. No hugs today, just a lot of uh, smashed doors. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would have been absolutely dire, so it's encouraging again that they were able to get it across the line, but... Yeah, and very, very fine margins. And going back to like what I said with, with sort of the comparison of celebration with Mercedes Haas, I, I, I didn't see any celebrations, but I'm sure they're incredibly thankful. You know, finishing seventh and getting four points, um, finishing seventh yeah. is is fantastic. Again, um, Grimthor said he'd hug the whole paddock just for two points. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw right. a comment. I think I saw a comment saying they're saying I dread to think what he'd do for seven or, or for, for seventh place, four points or whatever it was. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, they can they can be happy with that because again, it's been a long, long time for for Haas. Lots of pointless seasons. Um, you know, they got some points last year and they got pole position last year. But um, exactly. But yeah, the actually being in the points and having quite a you know and he, he was there the whole time pretty much you know like you said he sort of gained three places from from his qualifying position and yeah eight eight people dnf but he gained three which meant that he kept a lot of them behind um you know he's right. lose those places crucially so yeah he, right. he exactly they, they've got they've got pace there they have have the has and they they can probably consistently be scoring points which is which will be a huge relief to them definitely definitely it just gives more support to how close the midfield is including alpha and mayo who had a very very strong outing as well both drivers gained eight positions each with joe in my notes ninth (laughs) and valtteri was in 11th um, one of them only getting points, but still a very, very strong outing for a team that qualified poorly, mm. very poorly, um, which is why they've ended up, well, first of all, staying in the race and getting to the checkered flag without any issues and gaining all those places in the process as well. So I think it's an interesting one for Alpha. It's again, it's like it's like McLaren, isn't it? Where you have to be in it to win it in the sense that in order to capitalise on those those issues that other teams have, and in this case it's eight drivers that, that crashed out. So, you know, I think they just, again, they capitalised, didn't they? they? It wasn't necessarily pace, they just stayed in the race, didn't they? I mean, what else can more be said in that respect? Yeah, I mean, I, sure. I, to be frankly, I just forgot where they finished. They had such an uneventful race. Right? Despite everything that <laughs> happened, they had a really uneventful race, which is what you want in a really chaotic race. You don't want anything to happen to you. Um, all right, you only come away with two points, and there was only two places where you couldn't score points, and you're one of them. That's a bit gutting. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, just still coming through, and, I mean, that's my strategy for league races, qualify at the back, just let everyone else have a crash, and then come through and score some points. <laughs> um, yeah. Worked it, well in the past. <laughs> yeah, it worked in the past, and it's it's and it's and work. it worked for, for Alfa Romeo, that weekend as well so yeah they managed to managed to come through um, yeah uneventful both cars finishing and which which is still better than better than most it's not it's not the not yeah. the points and it's not anything to write home about on a normal weekend um but yeah just sort of surviving surviving through it um i mean i'm actually trying to think i'm uh, both yeah both red bulls both i'm trying to think what teams both had both cars finished both red bulls both Aston Martins, both McLarens, 
probably and both alphas and both alphas yeah so there wasn't that's it there wasn't many teams there was only like four teams that actually had both cars finish so yeah yeah and the two stragglers yeah exactly i think you're absolutely right it's it it was only a smattering of teams that really yeah got through it unscathed i think to be honest with you at the end of the race you got alpha's pit wall just looking at each other going got ninth (laughs) we get ninth yeah nice better than cool better than what we're right. hoping for yeah because <laughs> again their car's sort of not that great it hasn't been that great for the past couple of years either and it's still no. that not that great um so they're sort of you know getting any points they're going to be thankful for them really i think not being disrespectful to the team but you know that's that's sort of the situation that they're at that they're just going to hope for points um yeah the midfield's become very mixed up in that respect like mclaren again are glad to get points alpha glad to get points because they were two teams that were solid midfield touching on podiums at times especially with bottas at alpha last season and now they're both hoping for points what a difference a winter makes right yeah it's amazing God, can you imagine if it was like in the 90s no 2000s where the top six got points can you imagine how difficult it would be for teams yeah. Nowadays, I don't know. Oh, I, just I was about to say, I don't know how brutal. teams survived back in the 90s. No, I know. They died. That's how they survived. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't, they didn't, they survive, didn't survive. That's <laughs> So that's why these teams have been around for a long time. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's... Yeah, good result. Decent result for, for them to get get yeah. points and be, be happy with that and be one of four out of ten to actually have both cars finish. Exactly. Pleasantly surprising day. Yeah. For uh, for Alpha, um, and you had a a strong result for um, Yuki as well for uh, Alpha Tauri, um, who managed to come through and get that last point. So he split the the Alphas. Um, so has been carrying the flag at the moment for um, Alpha Tauri, and I think I'm I'm glad they gave him a chance because he's showing why it was worth giving him a chance at the moment. Hmm. He's definitely leading that team, and I know it's because De Vries is new to the sport. Um, I put that in italics mm. because of his Monza drive last year, but this is his first full-time year as a rookie, um, and doing one Grand Prix doesn't stop you being a rookie, no. frankly. You are still a rookie. So, yeah, looking at that, I mean, it's understandable. De Vries probably still getting up to speed a little bit, and then, of course, having that uh, incident with Logan, Towards the end of the race, in fact, it was after the second restart yeah. um, that those two had to come in together right while all the rest of it was going on, and we'll get to that. But yeah, just the Vries probably was hoping for a little bit more, but probably wasn't going to be points, I doubt it. Um, so you've they'll be glad they've got Yuki currently flying the flag for them because he drove very well and came away with a little point. Yeah, um, I was about to say Yuki's consistent. No, he isn't. Um, he's sort of famous for not being consistent. Um, but no, exactly. but he's, he's, he's driving smoother and going going against what he thought. Because when they signed, re-signed him for the first time, he was he was surprised himself that they kept him on because he was just like, I'm inconsistent. Sure, why why are they keeping me? Um, right. But he's no, he is doing he's doing well. Um, his third season in the sport. Um, mm. So he is he yep. is doing well. Yes. And um, and like I said, but I I know he is a rookie, but I am somewhat surprised of the freeze lack of pace because um, yeah. we we know how good the is. I mean, even if you argue it's the the Alpha Tauri 
is not the greatest car. At Monza, he was in a Williams, which arguably was potentially worse, and he still got a point. Yes. And that was his first ever time at a Grand racing in a Grand Prix. Um, and he's got his history of being a Formula E champion and won all the other lower divisions as well. Um, and has been in the sport for a long, long time. I remember actually for first time seeing De Vries, I remember he was in the Tuned animated show. That's the first time I saw. Oh, that's the yeah, first time I yeah. saw Nick De Vries. Young Nick De Vries was in the animated <laughs> Tuned show back in 2012. Um, what again, a throwback! Yeah, from back to there. So that's that was yeah that was the last time. He, anyway, but yeah, I'm I'm sort of surprised at his lack of pace. I know I know you said he's a rookie, um, and it, it you know obviously you don't expect to get up to to pace straight away because a lot of them don't. You know Yuki went through Formula. Formula 4, next year Formula 3, next year Formula 2, next year Formula 1. Incredibly fast pace. Um, Again, Mick Schumacher took a couple of years each season, but then won the championship and then got into F1. Um, Yeah, sometimes you do struggle there. So particularly for for a couple of years as well, you can definitely struggle um, with getting used to it all. So um, obviously I'm not counting Nick out. I I know he's a fast driver and and know that he's going to do well and hopefully consistently score points. Alpha Tauri's not great at the moment for him. Um it's sort of like Alpha Romeo, it's sort of at the back, you know, happy if you get points sort of thing. Um you know, and if, if it wasn't for for Sergeant going into the back of him, he would have you know, Alpha Tauri would have been the fifth team to have both drivers finish um finish right. both cars. because um, he would have yeah, he probably would have stayed there. But yeah, sort of I'm sure. I'm sure De Vries will get get up. I'm just sort of surprised by that he hasn't he hasn't caught up to Yuki as quickly as like as you said, like Oscar Oscar Piastri's caught up to Lando. I'm surprised Nick isn't right there with Yuki, particularly knowing how quick he was in Formula E. Exactly, exactly. I think the litmus test will genuinely be Monza this year. Mm. You've got a direct comparison from his technically his debut to. His first season is halfway through his first full time season. How does it stack up, and like how much difference is there in his confidence and his performance in a different car? You know, as Williams versus Alpha Tauri, albeit a season apart, it'll still be fascinating to see how he uh, stacks up there because I think he will eventually give Sonoda a run for his money considering how quick he was at Monza last year. But time will tell, time will tell. Is he just not adjusting to the car? Who knows. Um, looking ahead, uh, I say ahead, we're actually looking back, anything, we'll look at Williams as well, because, to be honest, they had a really tough day at the office. You got, initially, Albon going off on lap six, um, I struggled to recall what corner, I suspect it was probably, um, turn eight or seven, is it seven into eight, and he hit the tyre wall, um, and uh yeah i think it yeah i think it's turn 7 or 8 but he lost the back end and just went careering into the tire wall yeah. and instant dnf that was the first red flag as well actually yeah. um so not the day he was wanting and then obviously it got worse for williams when logan uh collided with um the vries so yeah tough one really tough one for or the team, but um, you know, I think it, they'll probably just call it a write-off, won't they? 
to be quite honest. Yeah, well, they, um, they have... Really tricky one. They have to, yeah, both cars in the gravel, um, effectively, at the, at the end of it. Um, yeah, and that's sort of where the sort of big argument for um, Albon's um, incident is, did they need the red flag? That's sort of the first argument, even when it was happening. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I think it was in commentary, Jensen Button was like, just put them behind the safety car, bunch them all up, then the marshals know where all the cars are, and you brush the gravel away while they're on the other side of the track. And that's what we've done before. Um, so it, yeah, it sort of brought into question why it needed to have a red flag. Um, it didn't change much, real, really, like actually stopping it and re-going didn't change much other than destroying George Russell's strategy. Um, and yeah. anyone else who anyone else who pitted, I think, under that safety car when it came out, and then they red flagged it. Um, yeah, and sort of ruined their strategies because yeah, because they pitted, and no one else did, and then everyone got a free tire change. So, yeah, it was sort of questionable whether whether that's that red flag was needed. But I, I mean, that was like lap six, lap seven, and then nothing happened for another fifty laps. So, yeah. so it sort of didn't really change anything. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, everything happens at the beginning. Nothing in the middle, and then everything at and the end. Everything yeah. happens at the end. Yeah, every single time without fail, it's in, it's uncanny, it's uncanny. Uh, and there's way more support for it again this time. Um, another team that probably, on balance, had a worse day than Williams, if that's possible, was Alpine. Um, so close to the end, bless them. And they hit each other. Yeah. The two French drivers hit each other in a French team. Oh, just... Beggars belief. Uh, yeah, it was disaster. It was. Uh, I mean, I know you don't have great visibility behind um, in F1 cars. It's still better than it used to be. With the mirrors are actually getting better, and you can see a fair amount. Um, it was slightly careless from Pierre just to assume that he could, because he ran wide to turn <laughs> one, and then was on the far inside for for uh, for turn two where everyone was going to the outside of it and he just drifted across onto the racing line assuming no one would be there and then found his team his teammates front end and they both went in the wall um because the last person you want to hit is your teammate and 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 that's what happened and mm. there was potential as well that like alpine had a talk with both the drivers and said both of you admit it was both your faults because if it falls on Pierre's shoulders, he's getting a race ban. Uh, which I think he's still, I think he's got to hold that over his head until something like Canada or Monaco. Um, oh my this, this, the number of penalty points he's got, it's very fine. He's still got like a handful of races to not get any points. Otherwise he gets a race ban. Um, yeah. Somewhere like Canada or Monaco, these cleared. So, but so I think that's what I think the rumors are that Alpine talked to Ocon and said, admit some responsibility so Pierre can race in Azerbaijan. <laughs> oh, goodness me. If you could move at all in those seats, it'd be squeaky bum time. Yes. Uh, for him. But again, I guess, sure I guess that's, with, the, uh, I guess that's uh, the teetering. I guess that's the benefit of crashing into your teammate that, you know, if, if you're in that position where, if it's protested, this was your fault, then you you get a race ban. But if it's your teammate, they can say to your teammate, "Don't say it was his fault," 
and admits it was a and force the idea that it's a racing incident you're both to blame then then he can get off scot-free which i think is sort of what it did again people are going to see that and be like oh but that's dirty politics and teams playing favorites and playing the system like but that's that's happened since day one so that's 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 it's dirty but it's that's been there in f1 since day one it has yeah it's not going to change either sadly it's the nature of the beast yeah as far as as that goes um uh, yeah, not not a good day for Alpine. I mean, that they probably had the worst day of anyone just due to the circumstances of the incident. The fact that two teammates are colliding that close to the end yeah, of the race. Second as well. to last lap as well as not when you want it. Absolutely disastrous. Um for a team that could have done with some points and well, they may have been on for that, to be fair. I'm uh, just recording the qualifying. It was uh, eighth, uh, sorry, ninth and eleventh in quali for Alpine. So just to note that they were in the fight yeah. based on qualifying. So yeah, they'll be even more devastated about that for sure. Yeah, really tough day. Yeah, the um, the other fact that I remember seeing with people commenting is you get a lot of the a lot of the rivalry comments just going, "Well, Piastri should have gone with Alpine. Alpine are clearly better than McLaren this year." Um, Piastri has the same number of points as as Ocon currently, so wow. it you know it, it's not necessarily the better team at the moment. He's still sat level with nice. them, so he, I know he's he's only scored once, and there's been three races. But Alpine, un, unlike um, who we were talking about, it was lucky Haas. Unlike Haas, you know, mm. all the bad luck went to Alpine this race. So they, yep. you know, they. Sure. That's why you got to be you got to be in it to in it to win it. And if you if you know if yep. crash Absolutely. crash into your teammate, you're not going to score. No one's going to score any points. <laughs> to finish first, first you have to avoid your teammate's rear tire. Yes, <laughs> that's that's the summary, I think. But yeah, fraught race, an absolutely fraught race. Um, that you know, I think was maybe needed from an entertainment point of view, <laughs> perhaps. But you know. Still, oh yeah, because there it's... wasn't enough going on at that restart with Sergeant going to the back of De Vries <laughs> and Science spinning Alonso. There wasn't. No. There wasn't enough. We needed the two Alpines crashing as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All at all at turn two. We need some more, some more smashed carbon, please. Yeah, this isn't enough yet. Ah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, that's the cherry on top. That is two Alpines going off into the barrier. Extraordinary, <laughs> absolutely extraordinary. And it wasn't even a wet race as well. No. Amazing, amazing. Um, cool. Well, that that's the race, isn't it? That's the race. Um, more news though. Um, prior to this, I had a little uh, browse, and it turns out that Toto Wolf has just become a billionaire, which is just insane. Absolutely insane. I don't. There's there's no other owners in this in um Formula within the Formula One teams at least. There's no other owners who are in the. Billion mark is there in terms of an owner also being a shareholder. This is quite unique, and that's why it's being reported on so heavily. I think because you know he brought Merck back to well eight championships, yeah, including Nico's, obviously. You know, eight championships, and has also grown a sustainable business out of it. Um, to the point where now he has a personal wealth of a billion, um, euros. I assume. Yeah. Um, but either way, yeah, a billionaire, extraordinary. Yeah, um, I mean, he's always been very clever with 
money he's got a finance background mm. doesn't he um so he's very yeah. numbers driven um so but yeah i mean he, he completely transformed that mercedes team taken over from ross braun um 2013 it was uh 10 years ago they were talking about it it was his debut with with the team mm. um yeah and they, they then started started winning everything and of course he then you know was quite smart became a a like major shareholder in in the team um and then they started dominating so his 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 profits only went up um stonks as the as the meme goes um which which is but that's but that's a well-played thing to do He, he invested in the team he put a lot of his capital into it and then it came back it came back with a huge return it, it exactly he's very savvy businessman mm. he's he and i think by having ownership by being a shareholder and an owner it's easier to um he's he what i'm i guess i'm trying to say is he's so he's clearly passionate about the the future of this team yeah. because there's owners who aren't shareholders and there's shareholders who aren't owners, and you can tell what their objectives are, right? Shareholders make money. Owners help the team succeed. He is not only helping the team succeed, but is also pro- producing a profitable, sustainable business in the process, which is just a triumph. It, it really is. In a sport that is as difficult as it is to compete in, he's managed it nearly perfectly i would say considering his wealth already not not that he didn't have wealth before sure but most of his wealth growth has come in the last decade yeah and within formal but i think as well that actually the majority of this money that he would have got to make him a billionaire would have come through particularly shares of the company um because mm-hmm. because unlike the drivers or yeah he's given a, a, a salary um but it's probably I don't know how much team principals get paid, but it's probably not as as much as he's paying Lewis. Lewis is probably getting right. a hell of a lot more. He doesn't get pri- <laughs> he doesn't get prize money from Formula One for winning races, um, personally, right. unlike unlike the drivers. Um, so the the majority of it of of his wealth would have come from however much he's they've budgeted for him to have as the team principal, uh, whatever the going rate is for a, a team principal. I know you can pay. I know you can pay finders fees and whatever, and and like hire hire them. But you know he's he's been with them for for years now, so I don't know what what salaries you know he's agreed and like they they wouldn't have a finders fee or try and try and pinch him from anywhere else. Um, that he's invested in the team and yeah, and the, and the shares, like I said, just investing in it early and it it being successful. So that's where he's got the majority of of that wealth from. It's not. It's not prize money. Yeah. It's not actually no. well. It's is to do with being on track, but it's not like physically being on track. It is just the the success the team has created by being a successful team. He has managed to profit on the team being successful. Yeah, on full circle, basically. You know, yeah. You know, he feeds in, gets out. Feeds yeah. in, gets it out constantly, and it's worked to perfection so far. And I think he'll continue to do that because I don't see him stopping anytime soon. It's too determined. It's too determined for its own good, I think. But yeah, really worth noting that one, you know, um, because you know, sky's the limit, frankly, in Formula One. And it, if uh, Merck find themselves back actually at the front of the field again, 
only going to keep going. Only going to keep going. And a very healthy retirement. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of billionaire team. Oh, no. Is Bernie Eccleston the only other one? Have there been any? Surely there's been more billionaire. Well, oh, oh, well, Stroll. Is Stroll a billionaire? Lawrence Stroll? Billionaire? Um, Because the, the only one that's going to my mind of team owners or maybe team principals as well that have had that much is, is Bernie. Because he, he was a team principal of Brabham, wasn't he? And a, a couple right. of others. So, but I don't know. If... And became an F1 Supremo. So, yeah. Yes. Tell you but... what, let us know in the comments if you're still listening. Yeah. Now. Let us know in the comments if Lawrence Stroll is currently a billionaire or not. Yes. And if there's then... been any other team principals. Yeah, but you. In the past or present. But you could argue that Lawrence Stroll isn't the team principal. He's the owner. He's not the team principal. My, That's Mike, right. Mike Crack is. I'm trying to say that without laughing. Um, <laughs> Too late. I'm sorry. I'm, he must be so sick of that. Um, oh, he must yeah, be. Yeah, but, but Mike, Anytime Mike, he gets a phone call. Yeah, but Mike Crack's the um, the team principal. I can't say that without putting a smile on my face. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I, exactly. I, I think the, so only unique... the, the only billionaire team principals, I think, have been, unless there's anyone other than, than Toto and Bernie, I don't think there was, don't think there was any others, even going back earlier. No, it's a unique scenario because he's an owner, a shareholder and a team principal and all the above, right? It's a unique situation in the sense that not only is he does he own the team in this capacity? He has led the team to success, but he's made massive economic gains out of it as well. It's the full package. It's the whole triangle. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely amazing um, what he's been able to achieve with that team from a financial standpoint and from a sporting standpoint. There's obviously yeah. blips in there, and I've com- we've on, on previous episodes of this podcast we've commented on some of the behaviour in interviews and perhaps how Toto's conducted himself to the press and therefore how the some of the drivers have conducted himself to the press, including George. Um and yeah, that is a downside when you've got a team that's prided itself on its culture. But you can't deny they have nailed the economic side of it because it's working. Toto Wolf's a billionaire. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. Um so hat off to him for the uh the success. Ongoing success. Uh, really, from it quite special. Um, it wasn't so special for one of the spectators, however, which Matt rightly brought up <laughs> before we got started. Uh, one of the poor spectators got hit by some debris, although he seems to be pretty happy about it from some of the pictures I saw. Well, well, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say hit and miss because it very much was a hit story. He got, did get hit. Um, it was, it was, yeah. it was from K Mag's car. It was on the outside of turn two. Um, when K-Mag hit the hit the wall, a bit of debris came off. Um, I mean, Nasty's scar it was sort of down his down his arm, um, and carbon fiber is 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 sharp. So particularly particularly when it's ripped off. So it had been a nasty nasty cut, you know, equivalent of equivalent of being hit by, by a bit of glass or something, like quite nasty. Um, yeah. But he seemed happy, you know, happy with it. He you know, was in good sp- <laughs> good spirits. But then the the poor guy, someone stole that piece of debris because it hit him and he caught oh, it. No. And then he went to the med centre and someone took it. <laughs> so he didn't even get the hold, the hold onto the piece of debris that cut him. He's got a scar <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what happened to that. Someone stole it. So Someone, yeah. someone else claimed it. So he, he got an injury but didn't get to keep the weapon that hurt him. Oh. 
It's a bit like being at a baseball game. The ball comes out, hits you in the head, or cricket actually. Yeah, it hits you, you know, in the head. The ball you hits get, you in the head. You get a concussion. But get the person behind out. the person behind you gets it. Yeah. Someone else thinks. Well, you wake up, you come round. It's like, where's the ball? Yeah. You mean where's the ball? It's gone. What? Right. It's like that. Yeah. It's like that. It's like I took the pain. I don't get any gain. Come on. Yeah. It's about. <laughs> so um, it looked like a nasty gash, but hopefully um. It, it was yeah, sort of patched yeah, up I believe I believe he's totally fine. There was it was only a cut, um, and no yeah. no damage. It didn't do any damage in his arm. Um, just a nasty cut that would probably would have hurt. But yeah, he seems see <laughs> social media. He seems in good spirits, other than having it nicked. And um, good. Yeah, and seems seems happy <laughs> with it. Happy that. with the attention as well. I think he's he's, he's <laughs> being a bit. I don't want to say wholesome with the attention, but he's just like no, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> people are seeing this, and I'm. Yeah, being funny. It is. He's he got more than he bargained for. Maybe not the piece, but he got more than he bargained for from that weekend. It's like that's a hell of an anecdote for the next few years. Mm. Um, you know, it's like I got cut by some debris at a Formula One race. What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that was the Melbourne Grand Prix weekend. Well, I've actually, um, I think there was still there was there was still something else related to the crowd as well because did you see that after the race the uh, Australian Grand Prix organizers were called to the stewards' office. The organ oh, the goodness. organizers of the Grand Prix were called to the stewards' office uh, because of the fans climbing the fences and trying to do track oh, invasion. Yeah, they did. They attempted it a lap early. Even the commentators. Um, David Croft and Jensen Button noticed it, and they were like, "We hope security's down there." Um, but security sort of wasn't down there. The they thankfully didn't oh. they didn't get on the track while it was racing. Thankfully, but I did see when the recovery tractor was in the gravel at turn one, recovering to Freeze's car. Uh, it was surrounded by crowd. They they the crowd were, yeah. the crowd were there while this tractor was was carrying a. A Formula One car. I mean, uh, again, probably about ten years ago or so, a Canada uh, marshal in Canada d tragically died because he was helping a, a car on a crane and it came around and hit him on the head, and he tragically passed away from that. Um, and the fact that these fans were were there with no safety, just around these cars, obviously trying to touch, go, oh, I touched, a, I touched a Formula One car. It's just like if if that swings you around on the head and hits you on the head, there has been examples that that could kill you. So it, it, that's what that's absolutely. why that's why the organisers were summoned to the stewards. Um, I mean, a lot of the comments were, were being funny, saying like it's going to be a five-second penalty for the for the for the Australian <laughs> Grand Prix, a five-place grid penalty for them. I don't know how that's going to work. Serving it next year. I don't know how it's going to work. You're going to you're going to be the eighth race in the season rather than the third. I don't know. You're going down places in the season. Um, uh, yeah, but they. Oh, it's bizarre, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know how they're bizarre. how they've. Has organised. I imagine a fine for them, but yeah, it was. Uh, it will it, be a significant fine. It was. It was. Yeah. Un I hope so. Anyway. Yeah, it was unsafe from the uh, from the marshals letting. Yeah, and Didn't how me. people got on the track because like the track invasion is still fun. I you know I went to a Grand Prix Silverstone twenty sixteen. Track invasion is is fun when it's done sensibly. They heard you in properly through the gates, and they're like, "Don't don't go." I was at Abbey at Silverstone to so turn one. They were like, "Don't go beyond turn one. Only go down the pit straight." So, as long as you as long as you do yeah. that and go only go down there, um, and I think Jensen Button sort of joked as well. If you're going to nick anything as well, nick the marbles off the tarmac. You know, no one cares about that. <laughs> Don't be stealing the pit boards and, and things like that. So, and it, it's ironic that on the weekend that the FIA banned 
teams celebrating on the pit wall and sort of leaning out and climbing the fences, the, the, the fans decided to do the same, which is arguably a lot more dangerous. Exactly. So I hope they got a... Well, they will have got a slap on the wrist, obviously, but hopefully a bit worse than that as well because it's unacceptable in this day and age. Yeah. Can't be getting away with that anymore. Um, you know, we used to see it with uh, Mansell when he won at Silverstone, obviously, and it's 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 nice to look back on, but when you're still seeing that now... It's it's like looking back at Group B Rally and just seeing the spectators. Yeah. That, that, was, that defined yeah. the edge of the track. For, for rallying, you know, you're hurtling a very uncontrollable Audi Quattro or a huge turbocharger, and your your barrier is a line of humans. You know, that's how rally was at the time, and that was accepted back then. And now you're just like, no, you can't be within 200 yards for obvious reasons. Right. And, you know, same has to apply for Formula One. You know, it, there are signs around everywhere. If you ever go to any racetrack, even go karting racetracks, you'll see constant signs saying motorsport is dangerous. You know, and yes. it is, you know, take precautions, don't be stupid. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just bear it in mind things can still go wrong even as a spectator. So yeah, it's it's sort of not just them taking their responsibility as a sport, as organizers to keep things safe. It's also about saying, What risk am I willing to take? And am I what am I willing to tolerate, right? Because, you know, I guess when you're attending a Formula One race, it's all very exciting. It's, oh, this is new. Or maybe it's not new. But either way, it's exciting to be there. And if an opportunity arises to charge onto the track, most people will take it. Because, well, where else be able to do this? Her, like, herd mentality. Got his arm cut. Yeah. It's a great anecdote. The herd mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Peer pressure. It's like, well, everyone else seems to be doing it. I'm not going to be caught. It's the same as a pitch invasion in football. Yeah same deal like everyone else is doing it they're not going to arrest all of us so we're all going on the onto the onto the track so ultimately the responsibility falls onto the organizers hence where they got ferried in um and yeah hopefully something comes of that um at the end of all this and doesn't become a reoccurrence this season hopefully let's hope not. um but yeah with that with that brings us to the end of episode six of Backmarkers with Keir and Hun. So this week it's Keir and Matt, and I'm I'm very pleased you're able to join Matt. Um, it's been a been a great episode. Appreciate it, and of course, we hope um, Hun gets well soon. Of course, well pulls through and join rejoins again for a future episode. Hopefully next week. So we'll get this out as soon as we can, and we'll be back um, very soon uh, in your ears and from your eyes as well, maybe like we are now. But with the hat. Before I waffle on, um, make sure you uh, follow us on all our socials. Say we're on YouTube uh, to to watch us, as well as on uh, Spotify, Apple, and all other major uh, podcast platforms. So do give us a listen if you want. Um, and we appreciate all the good comments we've had so far. They've been plenty, and we really appreciate it. So we'll keep it moving, and uh, yeah, hopefully we keep appealing to uh, what your ears want to hear. You know. So, yeah, with that, we'll uh, draw this episode to a close. And uh, thanks again, Matt, for joining. And good night. Good night, everyone.